Welcome back to The Uncomfortable Truth. I'm Alan Weiss. My guest today is Doug Brown. Uh, Doug's been a member of my community for a couple of years. I've coached him in some areas. His expertise is in sales, and I'm going to let him explain exactly what he's involved with in his business. Doug, welcome to The Uncomfortable Truth. Thank you, Alan, for having me here. I appreciate it. Um, what I do is I'm a highly acclaimed sales revenue growth expert who helps companies uh, grow their revenues, uh, fix their sales problems, and uh, drive uh, goodwill throughout the company as far as the uh, increase in monetary gain. How long have you been involved in the general area? About 22 years now. So you're a newcomer? I'm a newcomer. <laughs> So it seems to me that sales was changing pre-pandemic. I've, I've seen things that led me to believe that uh, the old-fashioned, uh, let's, uh, as, a, as a company, let's dispense some information to consumers, to clients, to customers, and we'll get them to buy. Uh, some people still talked about pain points, but I, I saw that radically starting to change. But I'd love to get your take on that. It, well, I, about 20 years ago, I was telling everybody that sales was going to change just as you were. <laughs> and the reason I thought it was going to change was because of the internet. Because when uh, I was growing up, for example, if I went to go buy a vehicle, there weren't many choices in dealerships and might had three or four. <clears throat> and when we walked into the dealership, we didn't know anything about the vehicle unless we read something, you know, popular mechanics or something like that about the vehicle. Um, but they had all the information. So the, the seller at that point had the advantage. But when the internet came in, it shifted the whole transfer of knowledge from the seller to the buyer. And uh, today we can buy a vehicle and know far more than even the dealership. Uh, I just bought a new vehicle recently and I walked in and I started asking the man questions about this particular model. And I said, well, does it come with you know heated in cooling seats? He's like, I don't know. And then I'd ask him another question. He, I, geez, I'd have to check on that, right? So I knew more about the car than he actually knew when I was going in. And we can find out what they pay for it, you know, if, if it's better than an accident, if we're buying something new or used. Um, there's all kinds of things that we know that they didn't allow us to know prior to. And I think that shifted the balance of sales from the seller to the buyer. It's interesting you started off with autos as an example. I have here uh, in front of me from today's New York Times, uh, the Mercedes EQS electric sedan, the S stands for stunning. And this article goes on to explain, uh, I don't know, maybe in a hundred column inches uh, that the new Mercedes, which is a, a, in effect an S class Mercedes, but all electric uh, is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, they're just salivating over it and they give you all the technical specs and they tell you what to get and so forth. And my last few cars now I've configured myself on a computer before I ever give anybody a dollar. Uh, and so you can you, you can really put together exactly what you want. You don't need any kind of technical specialist there. Well, let's talk about services then as well. I mean, uh, what have you seen uh, different in the sale of professional services, of uh, more intangible kind of items? To what degree do you think that's changed? I think it was always important, but I don't think people put the emphasis on building rapport and, and selling on value. And uh, some did. But the majority of people before it was more of a build a quick relationship to get a transaction to go. And today, buying decisions are different. They're slightly different, not radically different, but it's, it's really goes back to the old adage that somebody would rather do business with somebody they like versus they don't. And so now that things are so more virtual, 
Um, people have to learn, they must learn how to build relationships virtually, just like they would in person. We can't, you know, it's not like we go in and have dinner anymore, or lunch anymore uh, at times. <clears throat> but for the most part, you know, a lot of companies have shifted. So it's, it's, they're, they're running virtually themselves. So it's over Zoom like we're doing or over telephone or over uh, some type of social media communication or even email. How do we build personal relevant communication through that channel in order to get it to the next place where there's a dialogue? Um, and many times I would suspect in corporate buyers, I mean, they're checking online first, but they're not finding an ad like they used to years ago. Um, it's more of an online presence. Jonah Berger, uh, who's written uh, Contagious and Invisible Influence and so forth over at Wharton, was a guest of mine at one of my thought leadership conferences or consulting conventions. And uh, he's shown pretty uh, reliably that over the last 10 years, especially, uh, buying has become a peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, word of mouth, referral kind of business. And uh, only about 4% of that, he says, occurs over the internet. That is, occurs electronically. Uh, and as you think about this, when you start to say, well, that's kind of an overstatement, you realize that when you're looking for a good orthopedic surgeon or a dentist or a designer or an insurance person or a realtor or whatever, you ask somebody you trust who's done it, who's been there and done it, has the t-shirt, and you have a lot more reliance. And you also tend to do it yourself because you're doing somebody who you respect the favor. Mm -hmm. And I've often thought of these people on the, um, uh, on the internet who they pay as influencers, right? Uh, as, as sort of the same thing at a pure level, people who respect them, they're, they're evangelists. And I found that evangelism is a highly effective, low cost way of selling. What's your, what's your take on that? I 100% concur on that. And it's something that I watched you do. I mean, I've been a, 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 a student of yours for a couple of years, but I've studied your stuff for, I don't know, maybe 18 years. <laughs> so I watched you doing this right from the beginning. And I've had the privilege to, to work with some very, uh, I'd say semi-professional or semi-famous or even famous type people. And they, everybody who is in that position has done some form of evangelism. And it's really speed to trust at that point, because if somebody identifies with that person, they're immediately going to pull that up, the, the, the individual they're referring to or endorsing into the fold of, hey, you can trust this person. So fear drops, buying confidence starts to you know, go up. And the more that that, can, that process continues to happen, then the sale becomes easier and it becomes quicker. Speed to sale becomes much quicker at that point. Speed to sale, yeah. I've, I've always looked at it as total days to cash. The quicker you collect the money, the better off you are. Yes. So uh, tell me this, what kind, is there a typical kind of project you get engaged with uh, or uh, is, it, is it all across the board? It's kind of all across the board, but really I focus more on the services, uh, professional services today. Uh, I help a lot of training companies uh, who are trying to, they, they think they're selling high ticket, but they don't really understand what a high ticket sale is. Um, and so I help them uh, go through that process and build a, uh, help them build the sales team around it. What's, um, what's the cognitive dissonance there? What do they think high ticket is and what do you think it really is? Well, a lot of people think high tickets two, three thousand dollars, right? So, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's very common for them to talk about three thousand. You know, we're not going to do anything three thousand to five thousand dollars. That's kind of a a starting point for a high ticket item. And so, when they ask me, and I come in and I say, "Well, 
you know, what about a hundred thousand dollars? It sort of just stretches their mind to a place where they're like, is it possible to do that? And it's absolutely possible. Um, the highest one I've sold Alan online with ever, never meeting anybody was a corporate client. And we did a $420,000 consulting package for him, never meeting him. So you never met, wait, did you meet them by a zoom for example, or uh, we were on the, we were talking over the phone and you know, uh, I ended up educating the buyer and that's, that's something about building value too, is we have to educate the buyer more than try to sell the buyer. And as I was doing that over the process, one thing led to another and we discovered there was a consulting opportunity for it. And um, they signed the agreement. I mean, it was $65,000 a month for, for a period of time. And, and, you know, it worked out to be a $420,000 sale over time. Well, some people would be more than happy than that, you know, to have that as their annual income, period. Yeah. So yes. as you look back, if you deconstruct it, what, would, what was the critical juncture or what were the critical points that uh, enabled your buyer to say, yeah, you're a good bet for a half a million bucks? You know, the, the, I once read something you wrote, and I've always taken it to heart, which is that consulting is asking the right questions and getting paid for it. And I thought there was so much wisdom in that statement, not to, you know, pander to you. <laughs> but, hey, it's okay. It's, it's my podcast. Go right ahead. Okay. <laughs> but the, um, the reality is, you know, I have a system of selling, which uh, a friend of mine, Andy calls it, de you know, uh, death by questions. Right. <laughs> um, and it's really about extracting out the pain and, and showing them the value through what I would call permission-based questions versus, uh, the other side of questions, which is more directive. And so that was part of the process in, in the beginning uh, with these folks. And then I wasn't in a rush either. I mean, it, it took about 60 days to close it. I was not in a rush. Um, and I just kept providing more value, more value. But every time you have a problem that they have, we solve that problem, but we create a new problem for them. And that's the key. So if we have a problem, we're giving them a solution. They think, okay, this person has these expert, this expertise. You're educating them on something, and that's creating another opening opportunity or pain point for the person. Okay, and so that's what I did with that. I mean, so while you're there solving the problem, you don't go up to the roof and put, poke a hole in it and cause a leak or something, right? I mean, what no, kind, no, 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 no. <laughs> problem you create, or what kind of problem? In other words, it's a chain of cause effect, cause effect, cause effect. Yes, it is. I mean, in the case of this client, it was. Um, their me I knew their messaging wasn't, they were losing, um, they were losing $10 million a year on a hundred million dollar division. Jeez. And, but they were keeping it alive because it was their brand. And so it was what they were kind of known for, <laughs> but they weren't telling the public and it was in their messaging. What they were doing is they were selling uh, based on price and commodity at that at that point. And what happened was just because of the internet, the internet had a proliferation of these other company that, that came in and everybody was just competing on price and they, they just had such high overhead. So what we ended up doing is we changed their messaging and it, was a very, it wasn't much more than that. I knew it was somewhere in the messaging side of it. And we changed the messaging and we went from a direct pitch of commoditization or price and shifted the question to, okay, uh, in this case, they were selling checks. Uh, we shifted the conversation to check fraud 
and we started educating people about check fraud and why the why their checks were a little bit more money and why that the average you know company in check fraud you know can cost six to 12 months worth of revenue with one particular check and we just had these type of conversations with clients and they uh they went from a 10 million dollar loss to a seven million dollar gain in 12 months so they were selling paper checks like the like the only company i know is deluxe checks but something like that mm -hmm, yeah it was one of their competitors yeah okay so uh I want you to think about. I have I have one in mind. We'll see if we're, we if we have kindred spirits or not. I want you to think about if if you look at professional services people, uh, consultants and experts and coaches uh, and people like that. What do you think the greatest uh, technique in their selling their services is that they should get much better at or that they're weakest at? Well. <sighs> Closing a sale happens long before we speak to somebody. And so what you call promotion, and I refer to sometimes as positioning, we, we want to be positioned as an expert. And we want to go from who are you to how do I do business with you? And I think the first part of that is, and this is something I did learn from you, was getting into the public square more often right? and getting, getting that credibility. So I think that's the first place that people should start working on. Now that's a longer term play. So for the short term, I think under I understanding how to ask better questions and how to understand how to transition the conversation and from a conversation to increased value. And what's value? It's the perception of what they deem as value, the buyer. And if, if somebody learns how to just ask uh, better conversational questions and learns how to take them through a, I would say, step-by-step -step or stage-by-stage -stage process, it's more of a formula, um, that in itself will increase their sales because a lot of times people, they get stuck in the sales conversation. They'll get them to that sales conversation, but they, they miss the obvious, what I would consider the obvious in that conversation. So no argument with anything you just said. I, I had a slightly different uh, cause in mind, and that is I don't think people uh, sufficiently ask for referrals. And I mm -hmm. think that they um, are afraid of rejection, even asking a client who's currently using them. They're afraid of rejection. They're uncomfortable with the phone call. They feel they're asking for a favor. You know, they don't feel they're worthy. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's no cost of acquisition with referral business. I mean, it's right. the easiest kind of business. What, what, what's your experience with that? Do you find the same thing? Or do you think, are <laughs> without, without question. So when I do live, uh, live training events, I ask people, you know, let's rate your, your referral, you know, on scale of zero to 10. Most of the time it's zero to one. That's the answer <laughs> from there. Right? So, and I, when I say most of the time, I'm saying nine out of 10, literally. Um, so referrals are something that people, that it's just sitting there. Right. But again, like you said, it's about the fear of rejection or the fear of not having a system. So there's a difference between a passive system and an active system in referrals. And a passive system is, hey, they ask me or I ask them every once in a while. An active system is we strategically plan this right from the beginning and we're planting seeds for referrals all the way through. Not heavy duty seeds, but just letting them know that referrals are an important part of our, of our relationship if they deem it to be that way. And so then it becomes a system and it's asked every single time at strategic times and in different ways. And that's how people can pick up more referrals without even changing their fear of rejection, just by creating 
and getting the process better than what they have today. It's interesting because the insurance business, the real estate business, to some extent, auto dealerships rely almost totally on referral business. You know, who do you know and so forth. And, uh, and people do make decisions about everything from doctors to vacation spots based on the referrals of people they trust. Mm-hmm. So what do you see now, Doug, in, in this emergence, what I'm calling the emergence that we're in, uh, which is, uh, you know, people will call it post-pandemic. But, you know, people talk about a return to normal. They talk about a new normal. And I'm talking about no normal. In fact, I've trademarked it. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's going to be continual turmoil and continual volatility, but in a good sense. I mean, things where we can all take a lead and if we get comfortable with it. But I, I don't think personally that the old feet on the street and let me visit you is really going to cut it anymore. Uh, but tell me what you see about sales moving forward. I see a very similar path and I see it being uh, turbulent for a while. And And the reason I say that is because even though we're getting inoculated now. And even though people are starting to feel like, oh, there's hope at the end of the tunnel, there's still a, still a lot of uncertainty. And all it's going to take is just one fluctuation. And I think it's going to set it people back into their fear mode. Um, and so I agree with you. There there will be no new normal. Uh, there's just going to be going forward and, and understanding that in selling today, selling marketing's job, I, I think it was Peter Drucker said this, marketing's job is to make sales obsolete or something like that. I might be misquoting. But the reality is that with the proliferation of everything going online and people trying to do more online, they're, they're positioning better in the marketing side. So it's making the sales side easier to do, number one, and number two, almost obsolete in some capacity. Um, so I don't think complex sales will ever go away. And I think that the reality is that if somebody wants to uh, be successful in professional services or consulting or uh, whatever they want to call it, they really have to learn how to sell to the, I would say the 20%, you know, the Pareto principle, you know, the 80, 20, but I think it's the 20% within the 20% or even the 20% within that, that's how they're going to uh, really grow selling large sales. And the reality is that not a lot of people understand how to do that. I mean, you mentioned referrals as something as simple as that. Quite frankly, Alan, you know, real estate agents, car dealerships, the car dealership I just bought my vehicle from never asked me for a referral ever. Um, And I went to them and said, hey, guys, I have three other lease vehicles. They're coming up in a year. Right. And so, oh, they write it down. Oh, okay, okay, Right. But they never... even baiting them to say, okay, who else do you know, Doug? They didn't ask. And so they're not getting that exponential growth. And the reality is not positioning well. So selling high end, which is, you know, luxury cars, uh, again, the, the, the money's there in, in those type of things. So in, in consulting, the money's there in that midsize, upper, upper size client. We just, like you said, the game has changed. It's not going to be the same game. It's all about building more rapport and building better positioning and, and, and promotion in the beginning and being able to have that conversation carried all the way through in a conversational manner in which people feel that they're not being threatened on the you other know, side. I, I always thought the last name of my insurance agent was give me three names because that's what he always says. <laughs> give me three names. So I just assumed that was his last name. Give me three names. <laughs> so, uh, Doug, I have two more questions. The first is, uh, uh, can you tell us uh, 
tell, tell the listeners uh, where to find you and, and where to access your resources and so forth. Yeah, the businesssuccessfactors.com is the URL. Um, my, my LinkedIn is Doug Brown 1234 um, And I have a sales and marketing checklist that I recommend a lot of people in, in professional services take a look at. It's uh, at businesssuccessfactors.com forward slash checklist. And it's kind of a self-audit where people can figure out some of the things in, in more of what we've been talking about. You know, how are they doing in their marketing? How are they doing in their sales? Um, and very easy to complete. So that would be the best way. All right, great. And here's my last question. You know, whenever I do interviews for other people, I never, uh, I never want questions in advance. And I didn't give you anything in advance. I'm going to put you on the spot here for a moment. So think about it if you need to. But I'd like you to leave people with a piece of advice that you think would best serve them in any sales capacity over the next year? Massive prospecting and follow-up. And that, see, where everybody else has been pulling back, and and Alan, I've been doing this as, as you know, I do what I tell people to do because it works, not because I try to be directive, right? So massive prospecting. Right now, a lot of, their, uh, a lot of people who are listening, the, your competitors are still pulling back. When downtimes happen, companies get a little squirrely. The first couple of things I find them starting to pull back is on marketing and sales, which is crazy because they're cutting the whole front end off of the, of the process, but they pull back. And so while they're pulling back, your competitors will pull back. It's time to put the pedal down and you know, for six months, just prospect like crazy, what I call massive prospecting, come up with six new ways over the next six to 12 months to actually go out and find clients. And, you know, it's, it's about the combination of marketing and putting the marketing into play, which is prospecting. And then from there, understand that not everybody's going to invest today. We hope they do, but it takes a while sometimes. I mean, it's taken me a couple of years sometimes to close big sales. And the reality is that if you stay in with follow-up, I mean, the old statistic, you know, 50% of people never follow up when they're selling something. Only 13% ever follow up more than three times. So if you think about it, if you just followed up three, four, five times, you're cutting out almost 90% of the competition. When these people are ready to buy, because you're top of mind, they're going to come back to you more often. It's interesting. The way to stand out in a crowd is just to keep at it, right? Yeah. And, and isn't it kind of a common courtesy, really, when we kind of think about it, like we meet with somebody or we talk with somebody to stay in touch with that person uh, and build that relationship over time? And if you think you're providing value, then you're not really interrupting them. Uh, it, you'd be remiss if you didn't follow up. I, I've, I've never had anybody ever say to me, Alan, you know, that's a common question people ask, you know, how, how often do I follow up? I follow up monthly, weekly sometimes, right? I've not ever had anybody say to me, Doug, stop yeah, because, because you're giving me great value. Right. Well, Doug, you've given us great value today. Thank you for being with us. I appreciate it. And I wish you continued success. Thank you, Alan. I really appreciate it and very grateful to be here today.